What's up, Accelerators? Welcome to Normalize It, the show where we speak about and explore the business of disability inclusion and accessibility. I'm your host, Cam Baudouin, and on each episode, I'll be interviewing leaders, professionals, and people with lived experiences, and we'll be discussing the challenges, successes, and strategies on how to make this world a more inclusive place. As you know, many organizations are still trying to figure out disability inclusion through a trial and error method. That's inefficient. Stick around to the end of the show to find out how we can fix that. So whether you're an advocate, entrepreneur, business owner, stakeholder, VP, or just someone who's interested in the world of disability inclusion, this show is for you. Let's dive into it. Jolene, how are you today? Thanks for coming on the show today. What's How's it going? Good. Thanks, Cam. Great to be here. Jolene, we've got a great show today. I can't wait to talk to you a little bit more about truly the design aspects of accessibility. Not all of it, but I want to talk about like that the idea of the the business of of accessible design because i feel there's so much focus around the development right just give the devs the tools uh give the qa the tools and yet we talk about we could fix good 30 40 50 percent of issues when we just focus on the problems that are present in uh in the designs we could fix so many more problems down the line so why don't we just get started like what's first off missing in that business conversation around accessibility and uh, be it the design or, or anything else i think the biggest thing is because i owned a design only firm for you know 15 years before this was that when the light bulb went off and i actually realized that we weren't doing things that were accessible um, I know we'll probably talk about her later, but when my youngest daughter was born and she has a rare form of dwarfism, being a graphic designer and I was advocating for her physical needs, it just went one day I went, oh my gosh, like we are not doing things to include everybody. And I was fighting for her to be included with everything at school. I thought we can take those principles and put them into, you know, the digital and the print world. So I think, you know, trying to get clients to understand how important it is that everyone's included and it's not that big of a deal, really, if you started at the beginning of your project. Right, so right. us as designers, you know, we have to learn things a little bit differently. We have to look at colors. We have to learn, you know, the WCAG standards and, you know, present that into it. But the difference is it can all be done ahead of time rather than fixing it at the end. I think right. that's that's the biggest factor because everyone's looking at the price tag and going, well, I already did that. Mm-hmm. Now I got to spend X amount of money to, you know, fix it. Well, just do it right the first time and nobody's perfect nothing's 100 percent. but we can actively change our process while we're starting the project right to the end yeah yeah i love that because that whole idea of actively changing the process i know for me like i have a a developer's background and i think well i can just i can just fix it there and whenever i went to have a conversation with design and first off if anyone listening is part of a larger team where there's you know designers and developers and testers on that team, I've always found that the designers are the most receptive to changing designs just in general, like, or accessibility requirements. There's probably some tie into there being like, uh, you know, what's the expression? Um, Creativity loves confinement. You know, (laughs) something Something like that. If I give you requirements and I say, build me something or design something like this, that's no longer a blank sheet of paper. Right. And I say, build, design something within these boundaries. It's you know probably a lot easier for that too. I think the biggest thing is to show people that people with disabilities need equitable access to all communications. And it's not that people don't always care. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I was that person. I didn't know. I didn't have a clue. I said, so really until you know, you don't know. So I think that we really need to start teaching that in the curriculums and 
you know, having ongoing training if you're done school. I mean, I was out for almost 20 years already, like by the time I figured that out. So right. it, it's making like that connection yep. with people who have disabilities mm -hmm. and understanding why you need to change what you're doing. It's not just you know, the checklist for the, the technical pieces. It's way more than that. And that's how everyone seems to be approaching it for the most part. It's just, oh, here's the checklist and right. here's the technical and leave it to the coders. Right. It, it can be so much better. So just trying to integrate that into the process and really just ongoing education and, and trying to put yourself in other people's shoes, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You can't really put yourself in those shoes, but once you understand and you see it, I think that's the difference. Yeah. And now you brought something really interesting about school, because as we know, most of this isn't taught in school, right? I mean, this no. is something that that I hear people coming out of coding boot camps say, I hear of people who do QA testing, or even when you learn about like business analysts or the more business people, when, when they get out of school and they become product owners or scrum masters, they're not talking about accessibility requirements either. So maybe I'll just ask you, at what point in, in a creative uh, education program should we start talking about accessibility? Day one. I uh, think it, it needs to be integrated into the programs right away. Um, from just talking to other students, because we do work with local colleges and things like that, um, and talking to other grad students, only really if the professor has knowledge of it mm -hmm. that it's been integrated when they know. So I think the higher ups in the, you know, the education system need to start discussing it and making it part of the actual discussion. I mean, universal design has been around a long time. Right. So why isn't that integrated into design communications, marketing programs, social media, all of those types of creative industries, accessibility 101 should be right there when they start. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Probably integrated to each of those programs too, right? Not a not a separate course. I've always felt that kind of, why is this a separate course? Why aren't we just teaching this as we go along? No, it should be integrated because yeah. when you make it a separate course, I think it's the same as when you're giving someone a job quote and you say, here's your website design and here's X amount to make it accessible, mm -hmm. they choose not to do it. Right, right. It's giving them a choice and it's it's not a choice because we shouldn't be, you know, opting. We, we don't create buildings without ramps and things like that anymore. It's not an option. Right. We shouldn't exactly. be making it an option that someone who's blind can't order groceries online or pay a bill like it. If we are talking about the social versus medical models, everyone should be included. You know, it's not just equity, it's inclusion. It's mm -hmm. making sure everyone has that fair sort of chance to be a part of everything together without being excluded or having to go an extra mile to use an extra add-on because it works for them. It, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And I, and I love what you said there. You know, I do a lot of parallels when I talk about accessibility. I, I parallel it as well with, you know, the built environment. I don't know anything about the built environment. I'll admit I'm a user of the buttons on doors to, to, to open them for me when I'm holding my groceries. I don't help build it, but, but I spoke to someone at one point and she was transitioning out of the built environment. What I thought was fascinating is that she heard the same kind of um, objections that we do in the digital world as well. And yeah. there's, you know, who's following who, because when I look at a building and I know there's so many checks and balances that have to be done before the very first brick is laid. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know, how interesting it is that when I'm assuming advisors or architects are going and planning a building, 
they're saying, yeah, accessibility is there. We've now done it. It's not perfect. We all know that there's buildings that are still built today with yeah. those digital pads that uh, don't have any accessibility feedback to them. That, that's, but that's something that can be correct. That's small, but those actual physical ramps and sizes of doors and hallways, hopefully should be, should be meeting requirements. Yeah. But on that note, on that note, you own business and you've talked about like working with clients before. What do you say to someone who says like, you know, why, why should I care? Like, why is this important? Uh, what's, what's your first response to that? I don't have it as much now as I did in my other business because yeah. of exactly how we're niched. But the biggest thing, if someone were to ask me is because at, at some point in every one of our lives, we're going to experience disability. The tools that we already use that make our life more convenient were likely created because of someone with a disability or, you know, access needs. So I think that's the bigger picture for me is that why shouldn't you care? Mm -hmm. Because it's going to make things better for everybody. And at some point, maybe you're not affected right now because I wasn't in the beginning. I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos only five, six years ago, which was after I started with, you know, accessibility for my daughter. Mm -hmm. it's, it's making them understand that it's important that everybody is able to participate equally and fully and equitably. Yeah, I love that answer. And that's great. And that's such a, a great answer for us all to learn whenever we're going to pitch accessibility. I don't know how else to say it these days. There's so many of us feel that kind of need of, you know, I'm always in the spirit of convincing others to care about accessibility. And that's, that's something that we have to get used to. And really listening to the answers that other people give that have helped in the past and helped other business owners or creative directors or teams or clients care about accessibility too, is I think valuable to, to the industry as a whole. I already mentioned that we focus so much on, on development and I, I think that 50, and maybe you can help me with this number here, 50 or 60% of issues could be solved in the design phase. So how do I go and talk to teams about bringing that on even earlier? Like what are some keywords that I can use to really, that really resonate with de design teams to make sure that I'm uh, getting buy-in from them early on? I think you have to start back in the basics. You know, again, uh -huh. I'm going to approach it from more of the design perspective, but you have to look at the colors. You have to yep. look at the fonts. You have to look at the format or the, the end, like the tool that you're going to create, how it's going to be approached, who it's for. And you take that, you know, your target market is just not, you know, certain demographic age and whatever. It's that demographic within those demographics are people from all walks of life and all abilities and all requirements for, you know, equitable access. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know the percentage, honestly, Cam, like if yep. it's 50 or 60%, but if you can figure out uh, the basics of accessible design up front, when you how you do a grid, how you lay that out, how you portray your information, completely writing your content in plain language without all the acronyms and, uh, you know, lots of educational lingo that people might not get. I think that already simplifies it for you. Absolutely. Uh, when you have a clean design, when you have imagery that is inclusive, um, it, an authentic portrayal in that, you know, inclusive imagery, that that holds back a lot of the problems I, or helps with a lot of the problems I think that people are seeing right away. If you just change small things, it's not, mm -hmm. I think some designers, you know, or creative people are like, oh God, I got to change everything. Well, unfortunately we're in that sort of segue, I think right now we're, right. we're putting a lot of band-aids on things as people change their work processes mm -hmm. and their thought patterns. So I think it's going to get there, but we're just still in that segue. We're in that middle ground where people know it has to be done, but you can't just 
expect everyone to change everything all at once. I mean, as, you know, as accessibility advocates, we wish everyone would, we know the time and the budget's not there. Yeah. So we're, we're willing to hold people's hands and take them baby steps. And that's, I don't know what, what other way to do that as much as we'd love you to flip everything and make it perfect tomorrow and redo your website. Yeah. We know that's not going to happen from a business perspective. So if we can take you along the journey and, you know, in our case, meet our team who have the lived experience and, and do those baby steps and, you know, learn together. That's, I think the easier way for people to change their thought patterns and, yeah. and change their work processes. And it's a lot more digestible, isn't it? When you can go to someone and say, okay, I know that there's all these problems or issues that need to be fixed. We get that. We're in alignment with that. There's a thousand issues on this report or this audit or the tra- like tool, whatever you have. Where can we focus on that's going to give the biggest impact? Where, what do we do? And if we can change those habits, yeah. then we're going to see positive, uh, positive change in here. As someone... Merrill Evans says progress over perfection, right? It's it's a great term to use. And those that baby steps term, I use that in my presentations as well. W- leading people along that path, uh, baby steps, it really does. It, it, instead of trying to get people to bite off more than they can chew or shame and blame them, they're not there yet. We got to walk people along that path. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I use myself as that example because mm-hmm. I was doing my job for a long time and had no clue. And it wasn't mm-hmm. because I didn't care. It's because I didn't know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's with anything in life. We learn as we grow. Um, but, you know, my daughter is the one that really, again, I call it the light bulb moment. I don't know what else to call it. And I just went, oh, and, you know, a lot of people go, oh, well, I use automated checkers. I use plugins, that kind of stuff. It's not that they're all bad. They're a great start. They're mm-hmm. a great band-aid. They're a great net for under the bridge when you're working on it to catch you if you're falling but they are not the solution. Absolutely. Um, they're the temporary fix for the pieces that are broken. Um, I think it's it's a more a matter of partnering and getting yourself integrated with the community so you can understand it. We always, uh, it's our mission to lead with empathy and education. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know everything. Nobody knows everything, but at least you have to start somewhere. And I think that's the most important piece is starting somewhere and having that opportunity to learn from people mm-hmm. who are experiencing it on a day-to-day basis. You know, you might check your website and it's 97%, you know, lighthouse score. Right. Yeah. 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 All lighthouse. Oh, that's great. Right. <laughs> what is the 3% that yeah. mean that someone cannot pay a bill, they cannot apply for a job or, you know, something critical like that, that 3% could mean that they can't sign up for an activity like they could be, we sort of compare that to like Farshid and our team, he uses a scooter because mm-hmm. uh, he has cerebral palsy. Like if it's a five centimeter curb, he can't get in that That's building. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So everything else could be wonderful, but that five centimeter curb keeps them from entering. That's Absolutely. the same thing with the digital media. That little percentage could mean that someone can't actively participate and do it independently. Yeah. And we all deserve to have that independence. Absolutely. That's reminding me of a story when my wife's uncle came to visit us recently and he had a stroke. He's paralyzed on the right side of his body. You know, we only have two steps to enter our house. I never thought that I was an obstacle. It took him 10 minutes and three people to help him inside the house yeah. because those small steps and they're not, you know, they're standard steps. They're small steps was too yeah. much for him to handle by himself. And that's, that's yeah. such a big sign. What's that little 3%? Who are we ignoring? And what are we ignoring? Yeah. 
I, I have just another analogy. Yeah, my, yeah, yeah. my youngest daughter swims with athletes with disabilities. She does synchronized swimming. And we were at an event. And then once it was done, they were getting the winners to go up to the podium. One of the participants was in a wheelchair. Another one had a walker. And then somebody else had something else. They had to pick up the wheelchair and put it on the podium. Same with the walker. I'm like, why don't we just remove the podium? Why right, right. Why is this such a... Like, just remove that because then they're not independent. They just won a competition based on their own skill levels and capabilities. And then they can't get on a podium. Right, because right, right. It's, again, removing barriers physically, removing them digitally. We yeah. just have to think different. It doesn't yeah. have to be there just because it's been done for 50 years. Just get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. So you've met, you've mentioned your daughter a few times now. Uh, can you expand on uh, about her and, and oh, who sure. she is and why critical to the business? Yeah, I always talk about her. I do have three lovely children. <laughs> um, my oldest daughter is 21. My son in the middle is 13. And my youngest daughter is 11. So uh, her name is Joy, the youngest. So she was born with a rare form of dwarfism. It's called SED for short. So if you've seen Jen, the doctor from the little couple on TLC, um, that's the same type of dwarfism my mm. daughter has, or Warwick Davis from the movies, you might recall him. So she has that type of dwarfism. It's about one in 25,000 odds. Um, basically that gene, it's a COL2AI gene. It just didn't work when she was developing in utero. And it actually, we didn't have a diagnosis for two years, but after she was born. Yeah, she's really healthy. We're very lucky, but she does have short stature. She has a lot of skeletal problems um, and things like that. But she, when she started school, that's when the mama bear came out and I realized how much I had to advocate. Mm -hmm. And that's how it sort of transcended into other things because we were, you know, fighting for her accessibility needs, but they wanted her to use a bathroom down the hall from the right, same right. room. I'm like, but there's a small bathroom in her room, why are you making her walk across, you know, the hall? So really, it was just like, I'm the kind of person that wants to make positive change. And I know that there's other parents that didn't have that voice. So it was really that that pushed me to do that. And with excessive brand, when you know, I got really sick, and I had her and my son and my other daughter and my husband and everything like everything else sort of, sort of came to a head. I'm like, I, I can't work. I, I was so sick. I didn't have a diagnosis that I thought there's got to be a better way. So through that, I had met other parents who had lost their jobs or left their careers because mm. of the children that had medical needs as well as then I started meeting other people with disabilities and connecting with them and realizing, wow, like I could have this really great collective of people with lived experience that can't work typical jobs. Um, because of their disabilities or mm -hmm. because of their loss of their disability taxes and things like that. So that was really how it all came to be. But the mm -hmm. biggest thing for me with Brand was wanting to change the status quo on people's opinions of people with disabilities. Absolutely. Because so what? She's going to be four feet tall when she's full grown. Doesn't affect how she can work or how her mind works or her education, but it's that judgment, right? That's right. Yeah. Maybe I'll just ask you, I've heard of terms now and I want to be politically correct and I want to be yep. appropriate. Little person, dwarf person with dwarfism, what's the appropriate way to refer to, to somebody with? with it's dwarf. technically, it's really up to the individual. Okay. All right. Um, we all know we don't use the M word anymore, but uh, that's uh, a sort of a given. And thanks for a lot of the sports teams for removing those. Technically, Little People of Ontario, that's the organization that we work with, Little Person. We generally say, and Joy does too, that she has dwarfism. She mm -hmm. just has a condition. The condition isn't her. Right. So it's really up to the individual 
how, how they want to uh, sort of label themselves if they want to do that. But I generally say that she has dwarfism or a type of dwarfism okay. rather than say, she, I mean, it depends on the context, but little person Absolutely. or person with dwarfism, some people with dwarfism call themselves dwarfs, but that's up to them. We don't do that in our family. Right. Got it. Always ask. And this is a lesson for anybody who is yeah. either just entering this industry or a good reminder for those of us who've been here for a while. Just ask, <laughs> you know, yeah. how do I know my friend who's blind doesn't like needs help crossing the street or not? Yeah. Just yeah. ask. Don't assume. Don't just grab his arm. Don't force his hand on it. Don't pet the dog. Yeah. Don't pet the dog. Yeah. Always just always just ask. Just ask. Um, just ask. Yeah, we were lucky actually. We were just on vacation and we passed a person with dwarfism it was a different kind than my daughter. And my daughter got very excited because she wanted to meet them. So I went up and I asked, I said, would you mind if we chatted with you? And you could tell right away that they probably had this happen a lot and you don't know if they're going to be offended. But I said, my daughter also has a type of dwarfism mm -hmm. and the conversation completely changed Absolutely. and we've yeah. connected through Facebook and she has another person that's older that can help mentor her. So we're really yeah. grateful, but asking is really the best thing. The whispering and stuff, please don't do that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And most people would prefer it, right? I know if someone has, has a question about me, just just ask. I'm more than happy to answer, right? And, and yeah. we're, we're still people. We can still make that connection. Yeah. Um, on that note, on that note, I know that from a business point of view, it's so important to bring on people with disabilities into project, into the project life cycle, into our research while we're building products. Uh, why do you think that's important and how can that be improved upon? I think firstly, having someone with the lived experience, it's yeah. one thing to read about it, even if you have, you know, your PhD in disability studies, if you don't have that disability, you'll never know. Like mm -hmm. I, I have a disability, but I don't know what it's like for someone else with another kind. So by having, that's really why we formulated what we did for having a collective is because then you can reach out to as many individuals as you possibly can that have, you know, the spectrum of different disabilities. Um, but it's really, I think the most important thing is having those people that come from the different disability communities be a part of your project. Absolutely. They they want to have that. We all have feelings. We all, you know, don't just think it because you assume it. How do you know unless you ask? Like just mm -hmm. again, like you said, it's just ask. It, it's important to make it part of your process from beginning to end. And for us, we're able to talk about it with our team at the beginning of a project and then test it in the, in the middle and then test it at the end. We also just have clients come to us that we tested at the end, but then mm -hmm. we reached out to even a, a more of a broader community with different disabilities. But it's, it's, we really want to be that example that people think that people with disabilities can't work. It's, it's not the case, right? It's just, we need different opportunities, different types of flexibility, COVID certainly showed that for, you know, positive opportunities, right, right. lots of negative, but lots of positive. So I think just making sure that you get different communities integrated into your projects, even if it's in a small way, don't try and make decisions for us. Nothing, what is the saying? Nothing for yeah. us without us. That's right. 100% true. Yeah. I, and, I, and I love how this is becoming that conversation around belonging, isn't it? And mm -hmm. because when I feel that I have a job and, and I feel that I'm responsible for my own life, that feeling of belonging comes up uh, a, a lot. And importantly, now that whole conversation around DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion mm -hmm. is including that last 
letter of B belonging into it too. So we're bringing that feeling of if your own self-worth, if you can give someone a job and allow someone to, to work in an organization that can help benefit others. I mean, that sense of belonging is, is, is huge. Tell me more about this network though. You said how, how many people are, are in your network of, uh, uh, that we're talking about here. I think we're in around the 20 mark. Somewhere yeah. Here. We have about five people on payroll that are full-time or one part-timer. We have 10 or 12 total working on projects currently. And then we have a greater sort of collective that we can reach out to. And then we have another not-for-profit outside that we're connecting with that have members with disabilities for testing and auditing um, just to have, you know, ah, so amazing. on the projects. Yeah. And so, and so the people who are working on these projects, are they, are they developers and designers as well, or are they just contributing based on lived experiences? Is it a mix of both? It's Something a like... mix of both. Very so cool. yeah, we have designers, we have writers. Uh, we don't actually do development in-house. So we, we partner with developers and uh, two of those have disabilities as mm -hmm. well. And then I would say marketers, uh, you name it, we pretty much, it's all the creative industries, but then for, reviewing, testing, and auditing, they could just be persons with lived experience that Absolutely. have yeah. nothing to do with the creative industry so they can have mm -hmm. input from their lived experience. Yeah. Check your procurement processes, anyone who's listening, right? You can check and you can ask during the procurement process, does the company that you're procuring have people who are black, indigenous, or people of color? You can ask if they employ people with disabilities. You can ask, you can ask those questions to make sure that you're getting people of all different walks of life to help uh, uh, yeah. work on your product or things. It doesn't always have to be an offshore. Yeah. We've turned down jobs because we don't yes. have, like if somebody came to me from a cultural center and obviously I'm a Caucasian woman with the European background, I, I I'm going to say no, unless mm -hmm. we have people on our team. I think we need to be more conscious and thoughtful about how we do our projects for everybody because we should be going to the experts, the people who know Absolutely. and have lived this for mm -hmm. all of their lives. I think that's really critical. And, you know, having an agency in design marketing communications, we've all been around for centuries, but we don't always clue into those things. And I think it's important when we talk about inclusion and being diverse, often disability is not part of that conversation. Yeah. And yeah. we and see DE&I is now idea a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. So having that is is really critical. But yeah, I think yeah. out of our whole team, only two people don't actually have a disability themselves, Amazing. but yeah. either they've worked in it or their children mm -hmm. have some uh, Absolutely. You know, some sort of disability. So it's that's really most important to me is giving those opportunities and having all of the lived experience together in one. For sure. And so uh, one more thing. And so leading with education, empathy is so key because in our industry as well, we talk so much about those like lawsuits and uh, to our neighbors down, down South, right. You know, mm -hmm. we talk a lot about ADA and up here in Canada, we talk about ACA, sorry, uh, the American for Disabilities Act or the Accessible Canada Act, the two acronyms. Yeah. Uh, and, and we lead so much with those kind of regulatory lawsuits and the fear, the fear that a stick is going to come down, yeah. <laughs> right. You're, we, we don't know when that's going to happen, but a stick will come. And yeah. I know in, in my dialogue, I try and change that to talk more about, you know, what are the business benefits? What's the return on investment of making your product more accessible? Because by nature, it'll just be more usable. And therefore, you can sell more products, you can get more services and all this good stuff. Yeah. How do you lead with that? Where's your where's your thoughts around that? I'd say statistically, we, you know, before COVID, uh, I think the last stat was 22% of the Canadian population identifies having a disability. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So look at the opportunity for market share. 
Yes. So if you, it, it's not like, don't worry about the big fine that you're going to get. Think about how much more revenue you could generate ensuring that everyone can access your information in the most equitable ways possible. So I think if you look at it from that, but COVID, those stats haven't come out, I don't think. Long-term COVID has caused a lot of disability. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, and it's cognitive, it's physical. There's all of those pieces. So look at it from a market share perspective, like from a marketing aspect entirely is how many more people can you attract and how how bad is it that you would say that you're more inclusive and accessible i think that's a benefit into itself people i think if they have empathy there's probably some people with no empathy but if you don't that's a different story but most people have that empathy and they they want to know that they're making sure everyone's included we do that outside of business we yeah. do that for school yeah. we do that for sports so it's the same for business yeah. Yeah. Just before we wrap up here, we've got a couple of things. So Accessi Brand, tell me, what do you do? Give me your pitch so that everyone here who's listening today can understand what Accessi Brand does and how you can help them be more accessible, grow the business, things like that. Yeah. So we are what we call an accessibility focused design marketing communications agency, and that we are a collective of professionals that all have lived experience. And that's what makes up our team. So we are basically a one-stop shop for all digital communication and to ensure that it's accessible. So I think that's probably the best way to say it, but you can always find us on our website, accessibrand.com, and you can email me as well. Yeah, fantastic. And what's the one thing that you tell people to, to remember? That we will all experience disability in our lives. Yes. And that if we can start reminding ourselves that we are going to face that, that a disability could also mean temporary. Talking about the built environment, you have a baby in a stroller. If you can't get around a store, imagine a person in a wheelchair. So try and cross over your thinking process that it's not just you know white canes and wheelchairs, it's much more than that. So the more we actively work towards inclusion and having accessible tools from built to digital, I think the better off we're gonna have the entire society as a whole. I mean, it's not, it's not just for one thing, it trickles out to everybody else. So it's, it's a, you know, it's the waterfall domino effect. Wasn't that a great episode? You probably have lots of new ideas swirling through your head right now. Now, how are you going to go and teach that to your boss, your team, or your clients? You need a strategy to move forward. Contact me today. Hi at cambodwine.com. And let's talk about how we can move this forward in your organization or individual practice. If you could right now, like and subscribe to this show, it really does help grow our reach to get more people involved and interested in disability inclusion and making the world a more inclusive place. And don't forget, you can also watch this show live on LinkedIn. Just find me there. It's every Friday at noon Eastern. See you next week.